July 14th, Rian, a small city 40 kilometers away from China's eastern coastal city Wenzhou. Gabriella Bonino, an Italian, tells the driver the destination of a journey in fluent Mandarin Chinese. Living in China for almost 37 years, Mandarin Chinese comes natural to her. I am Tang Yun from Italy. Gabriella Bonino is my Italian name. I came to China rather early in 1987, and I'm still here. Gabriella is better known in China as Tang Yun. She adopts the Chinese surname Tang out of a love for poems from the Tang dynasty, which ruled the country a thousand years ago, and the first name Yun, or clouds, from the great poet Li Bai's famous line, At dawn I left Bai Di enwrapped in clouds aglow. She's also known as the contemporary female Marco Polo, as she traveled far and wide in China and writes about the country emphatically. She even followed Marco Polo's footsteps and retraced the Silk Road. Today, Gabriella needs to go to Wenzhou to check out the latest progress on the excavation of the city's Shuoman ancient port from an archaeologist. This new archaeological finding will take up an important chapter in the book she's currently working on, which is about China's ancient international trade routes via the sea, known today as Maritime Silk Road. The second chapter of my new book mainly deals with excavation of ancient shipwrecks on this route. I've been paying special attention to the excavation of the Wenzhou Shuomen ancient port from the very beginning. I've been following news on its progress, and I was lucky enough to have visited the excavation site twice. Two sunken ships have been uncovered there. I wrote about shipwrecks, but apart from the South China Sea number one shipwreck, I've seen very few of them. And now these two ships have been uncovered right under my nose. The trip from Rian to Wenzhou takes more than an hour's drive, so we start to chat randomly. Wenzhou is a migratory city. A lot of overseas Chinese now living in Italy were originally from Wenzhou. After I've moved to Wenzhou, people often ask me, where are you from? And I answer, Italy. And they'd be like, ah, my sons and daughters are all in Italy, or my relatives are in Italy. And they genuinely welcome me, an Italian living in their city. So I'm quite popular here. Gabriella came to China, a young girl who was fascinated by the Chinese language, classic poetry, arts, and culture. After some time studying Mandarin Chinese at a university in Beijing, she worked as a journalist and radio host in the Chinese capital. Over two decades of reporting and hosting shows about China, its economic and societal changes, its people, arts and culture, lent Gabriella a profound understanding and insight into the country. 
She likes to explore the local hutongs or alleyways to know more about genuine local life and culture. Even today, at age seventy, she still rides her bicycle to different corners of Rian City if the weather's not too hot. All these experiences have become material for her first book, the Chinese Journal of Contemporary Female Marco Polo, published in two thousand and ten. Subsequently, in two thousand and fifteen, she penned another book, Discovering the Silk Road. From camels to highways, which details her travels and findings along the overland Silk Road, once travelled by famous 13th-century Italian explorer Marco Polo. After that, she moved to Wenzhou and Rian in Zhejiang Province. She wrote two more books, Discovering Wenzhou and Rian's Intangible Cultural Heritages. Both books are mainly about local arts, crafts, and traditions. I asked her how she started to write so many books about China. When I'm in a place, I particularly enjoy exploring it and introducing it to my fellow Italians, as I used to do when I was hosting a radio program in Beijing. Now I no longer work in radio. I write articles to share my experience of China, the interesting people I met, and the interesting stories with Italians. I've been in China for almost 37 years. I see it as my mission to share my life in China, things I encountered here with Italians, to let them learn more about China, because there's not too much information about China in the West. Most news focuses on things like official policies of China, but rarely on the lives of the common people. Which is why my books about Wenzhou and Rian's intangible cultural heritage have found their popularity among Italian readers. We are now in Wenzhou. Before we meet with an archaeological expert at the Wenzhou Museum, Gabriella takes us to her favorite research and hangout spot. The Jiangxinyu Island, a tiny island sitting in the middle of Ojiang River that winds through Wenzhou. Across the river is the Shuman Ancient Seaport excavation site, which is temporarily closed to the public. As our ferry draws closer to this minute island in the middle of the Ojiang River, two ancient towers on the island jump into our sight. You see the two Buddhist pagodas with the Jiangxin Si Temple in between them. The pagoda on this side was built during the Tang Dynasty period. It's the one with a banyan tree growing on top of it. It's got a longer history. That one on the other tip of the island was built later, during the Northern Song Dynasty. Many great poets from ancient times visited this island, and they left us quite a few famous poems about the two pagodas and the tiny island, including Meng Haoran, Han Yu, and Xie Lingyun. Tang and Song dynasties ruled China more than 1,000 years and 900 years ago, respectively. So the two pagodas have been quietly standing there for nearly a thousand years, witnessing Wenzhou's glorious past as a major port for maritime trade. Now standing at the foot of the Tang Dynasty pagoda on the island, 
we learned that the two pagodas have not just been witnesses of Wenzhou's ancient maritime trade history, but two great players too. Their Buddhist pagodas, but had also served as lighthouses. Wenzhou is an ancient port city. In fact, it has been a very important seaport on the ancient maritime trade route for exporting celadon from Longchuan kilns. Back then, when ships sailing to the Ojiang River from the East China Sea saw these two pagodas, they knew they would be safe arriving at Wenzhou port. They knew they were on the right route and they wouldn't run aground or wreck on a rock if they cruised along at the guidance of the lighthouses. Wenzhou has a history of over 1,000 years. Its rise as an important ancient maritime trade port is closely linked with the export trade of celadon from Qums in Longquan. These are ceramics with a distinctive green-blue glaze coupled with intricate inlaid ornamentation and for centuries had been the desirable porcelain choice for the wealthy and nobility worldwide in ancient times. Longquan city is located in the upper reaches of the Ojiang River, quite close to Wenzhou. So Celadon porcelain could be ferried here through the Ojiang River. From here, they boarded big ships and were exported overseas to Southeast Asia, the Ottoman Empire, and the countries around the Mediterranean Sea. We talk about globalization and global trade today. In fact, China's porcelain had already been exported to Southeast Asia, the Arabian world, and the Mediterranean Sea back then. Chinese silk and tea were also part of the trade. So perhaps the first commodities exported in large quantities would have been China's porcelain, silk, and tea. Pointing towards a great building across the river on the other bank, Gabriela says it is the excavation site of the Sherman ancient port, which has been shortlisted as one of the nation's top 10 major archaeological discoveries of 2022. The site was discovered at the end of 2021 during road repair work. Excavations include historical sites of docks from the Song, Yuan, Ming, and Qing dynasties, two shipwrecks from the Song dynasty period, the foundations of surrounding building structures, wooden pavements of the ancient port, and the remains of the ancient Barbican of Wenzhou. They've also excavated huge piles of broken pieces of porcelain, mostly celadons. Basically, that's the site of a complete ancient port of 1,000 years old. Ancient port sites of such completeness and long history haven't been found anywhere else in the country, not even in the whole world. That makes it a very valuable archaeological finding. A lot of the excavated items are housed in a special exhibition room at the Wenzhou Museum. And that is our next destination.
The weather is steamy hot. Under the scorching sun, we arrived at Wenzhou Museum, where Gabriella is to meet an archaeologist who's part of the excavation team of the Shuman Ancient Port Project to see if there have been any new findings. Our biggest excavation is that we found nine ancient wolves, which is the largest in number countrywide. These wolves are mainly of three types, including slope wolves, staircase-style wolves, and platform-style wolves. The large number of wolves is closely linked to Wenzhou's robust trade at that time. The speaker is Wu Xianjun, archaeologist from Wenzhou Institute of Cultural Relics and Archaeology, who is part of the Sherman Ancient Ports excavation team. He is the person Gabriella is to meet today. At a special room, various types of excavation items from Sherman Ancient Port are displayed in sections. Porcelains, lacquerware, ancient coins, seashells and seeds, etc. Strong air conditioning is working to maintain the right temperature for these relics. Gabriella and Wu stop in front of large amount of broken celadon pieces. Here at this spot, we excavated two large heaps of broken porcelain. That's the result of damage incurred during the transportation process from Longquan to Wenzhou. They were thrown there in clusters and gradually formed these two huge piles. The heap on this section mainly came from porcelain shipments for East and Southeast Asia. And these ones were made to suit the lifestyle of the Middle East region. But don't you think that there seem to be just too many damaged items? Damage was unavoidable then, and it might have been substantial at times. Longquan is located at the upper reaches of Ojiang River. That section had rapids and dangerous shoals that could lead to stranding and even shipwrecks until the year 1092, when an official of the northern Song dynasty did some dredging work and made it less rough for ships. Thanks to his work, Celadon trade further flourished. At different stages, the overseas destinations of Celadons varied. Overall, it went farther and farther away to other parts of the world, and its market kept expanding wider and wider. By the Yuan dynasty around the 13th century, Celadons had already become an international commodity. They discussed details of the newest excavation, history and controversies surrounding a certain item, sizes of the sunken ships and different cultural influences reflected through the design, shape and prints on the porcelains. Throughout our museum tour, Gabriella took photos of items that caught her attention, raised questions whenever she needed further explanations, and took notes. When we finally bid goodbye to our good archaeologist, Gabriella looks very satisfied, leaving me to wonder which part of their discussion will go into her future books. Coming back from Wenzhou, I finally find time to sit down with Gabriella. I asked her why she's so interested in China's overland and maritime Silk Road trade history. I've always been interested in things related to the Silk Road. I love arts and culture, ancient languages and East and West exchanges and so on. After I came to China, I've been trying to find ways to introduce the Orient and China to the West, especially to my Italian folks. 
and I think the Silk Road would be a great starter from that communication. In 2017, I left Beijing and moved to Wenzhou. Wenzhou was an important Asian port on the maritime trade route, which makes my interest in the subject grow stronger. The recently excavated Shuomen Asian port is the place where celadons were shipped out to the rest of the world. That's like another invitation to me for my maritime trade research. For her latest book on the ancient maritime trade routes, Gabriela said she has traveled many coastal cities on this route, including Ningbo, Nanjing, Quanzhou, Hainan Island, and a number of other places, looking for new findings and evidence. She'd even got in touch with the descendants of Zheng He, the 15th-century great Chinese voyager who had seven times led great voyages on behalf of the Chinese emperor, sailing through the South China Sea, Indian Ocean. Arabian Sea, Red Sea, and along the east coast of Africa, Gabriela finds the voyages of Zheng He's trade fleet well planned. They didn't sail straight on for months during the voyages. They usually would dock at ports along the routes every two weeks to replenish their supplies, food, and water. Then continued on with the voyage. It was very scientifically planned. Traveling vastly in China and several times tracing the ancient overland and maritime trade routes between China and the rest of the world. Gabriela has experienced firsthand the changes in the country. Today, she says, highways, high-speed rail, and planes have connected every corner of the country, including places on the ancient Silk Road. One can pretty much reach anywhere one wants to go. When I came to China in 1987, I had traveled along the Silk Road on my own. Traveling was different 30 years ago. Not so convenient as it is now, but what remains unchanged are the arts and culture I discovered along the route. She mentioned Kushu Lan, the late Chinese paper cut art master, who has been designated by the UNESCO as a master of China's folk art and crafts, in recognition of excellent paper cut art. Ku had lived her entire life in rural Shanxi. When Gabriela stood in front of Ku's cave-style house on the Yellow Plateau, Ku had already passed away. She had lived a hard life in poverty. Her husband didn't treat her well. She toiled on the land and suffered from illness. But her love for paper-cut art was her savior. Her paper cuts are typically bright and colorful. She plastered the inside wall of her cave home with her paper cut works. People who visited her home say it reminds them of the mural art at Mogao Grottoes. The great paper cut master created a colorful world out of her harsh life. Years later, when Gabriela went back to Kushulan's hometown. Paper-cut art, she found, was still popular amongst the locals, but there have been changes. Last time I went there, the yellow plateau had turned green. 
Trees were planted everywhere. The living conditions have been greatly improved for Kushu Lan's offsprings. It really made me rather emotional. Many people who read the story of Kushu Lan from my book told me it was unforgettable. You've been listening to Footprints. We'll take a short break here. When we come back, we'll continue with the story of Gabriella Bonino, an Italian woman who has spent 37 years living in China. July the 15th, Rian. We're in a car hitting the road again. Our destination, Taoshan Town, under the administration of Rian. We will visit some local intangible cultural heritage inheritors together with Gabriella. Such visits are just a monthly routines for her. Over the past two years, Gabriella has made numerous visits to dozens of such arts and crafts practitioners. Our first stop is the color stone sculpture artisan Li Chengzhe and his father's studio. The father and son had recently finished their grand project, a color stone sculpture replica of the famous Song Dynasty scroll painting, along the river during the Qingming Festival, a marvelous masterpiece that took them nearly four years to finish. Color stone sculpture is the art of cutting and sculpting stones into three-dimensional shapes, then fitting them into designated inlay places on a board according to design. Such works bring together the features of paintings, the vividness of sculptures, and the lively colors of natural stones. Even for a talented person, the craft requires several dozen years to fully master. Half an hour has gone by. We are still driving on the road. Outside the window are rolling hills and patches after patches of green farm fields. How does Gabriella find her way here from Rian? I wonder. I usually take the shuttle bus. There's a bus between Rian and Taoshao Town. I'll first get to the long-distance bus station in Rian. From there, take a long-distance bus to Taoshao Station. There, I get on a random three-wheeler tuk-tuk scooter to the villages. Forty minutes per journey, just about. But I'm all right with it. Some of the arts and crafts masters have become my friends now, so it's pleasant to visit them. Some say, if you love what you do. You don't feel tired. With Gabriella, who's passionate about cultural heritage, it seems true. Finally, we are nearly there. The Colorstone Sculpture Studio. How young and worldly cab driver who took us from Rian to Taoshan Township is now driving a bit hesitantly, finding his car himself on the narrow dirt country road that winds through the sugarcane fields. Gabriella confidently directs him the way. Li Chengzhe and his family are already waiting for us outside the studio. It's apparent Gabriella is a welcomed guest here. Li Chengzhe told me he sees Gabriella as an elder sister.
She loves Rui'an and Wenzhou's intangible cultural heritage. Four years ago, she came to Taoshan Town or Lang specifically to look for me. She saw our sculpture work and she fell in love with it. Every month, she travels down here several times to check on our progress. She truly puts her heart into it. She wrote it in her book, and upon publication of her book in Italy, it created a buzz there, and our work won a lot of praise. We are super happy. She is an honorary citizen of Wenzhou. We are proud she's one of us. <laughs> The studio stands in the middle of sugarcane fields. It's definitely not the kind of a posh, air-conditioned studios you find in cities. Inside the studio, a few huge fans are working furiously to cool down the studio in the summer heat. Noise from Sanders working in another room merrily joins in our conversation from time to time. But all the noise becomes non-existent the moment people set their eyes on the grand colorstone sculpture work along the river during the Qingming Festival, displayed horizontally in four rows in the spacious studio. Like the original painting, which offers a panoramic view of the prosperous street scenes of the Song Dynasty capital Bianjing during the Qingming Festival period, the colorstone sculpture piece also has depicted several thousand human figures, animals, trees, objects carved masterfully, with the finest details well treated. Li Chengzhe gives us more details about this breathtakingly beautiful masterpiece. This is an exact replica of the original painting, with four times magnification. Our work measures 1 meter in width and 20 meters long. We replicated every detail from the original painting and gave every figure or object a three-dimensional form through our stone sculpture techniques before we fitted everything in on the backboard. It's challenging work. They have carried this craft on for generations. The father has works on this art for a lifetime. Now the son, Li Chengzhe, is carrying on with the marvelous craft. Colorstone carving works are for eternity. So long as you don't drop them, they will not break or become discolored. Intangible cultural heritages are precious. Yet many heritages face a common challenge, which is a lack of interest in them from the younger generation. Will Italian people understand Chinese intangible heritages? I feel Italians can easily understand China's intangible cultural heritage because we are a country full of intangible cultural heritages too. They're close to people's lives, so easily approachable for most. So Italians feel close to such subjects and find it easy to understand. It's also a good carrier for both peoples to understand each other more. Gabriella comes from Turin. Incidentally, Turin and Wenzhou are international twin cities. When her book, Discovering Wenzhou, was published in Italy, the mayor of Turin read it. The mayor of Turin read my books, Discovering Wenzhou, and Ray An Intangible Cultural Heritage, and he found them a good read. 
He also thinks having a foreigner write about the city they live in offers an interesting perspective. Seven hundred years ago, Marco Polo came to China via the Silk Road, fascinated by it, and stayed here for seventeen years. Now, at age seventy, Gabriela Bonino, who spent twice as much time in China as Marco Polo, is still passionately living and recording the genuine life and culture of China, and she says she will continue with her writing. I'm glad my books and my articles can help people, including those who haven't got a chance to visit such a faraway country, to know more about China. It's all worthwhile. With that, we concluded this episode of Footprints. Thanks for listening. If you are interested in hearing more episodes of our latest podcast series, Connected, just key in Footprints, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ningjin. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.